Good morning, TVC. Good morning. All right, there it is. Well, my name is Eric Solomon. If you haven't guessed already by how many people have said my name, uh, it is a great privilege to be together, to, to read from God's Word, to sing together, to pray together, um, and now to hear His Word preached. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at Wheaton Bible Church. Specifically, I'm the campus pastor here at TVC. And if you don't know me yet, I would love to get to know you. And I know that that is potentially a dangerous open door that I have given you. Uh, but flood me with emails. Give me a call. Stop and, and, and talk with me outside of the service. I want to get to know you guys better. Um, I'm, I'm here for you guys. But before we dive into Scripture, I, I do want to mention something. Now, you noticed in the announcements we talked about kids um, kids' rooms opening up this Sunday. As a church body, we really and truly care about investing in the next generation. We care about teaching them strong biblical foundations by loving and serving and discipling them, basically by being these signposts that point them to Jesus. And since the pandemic started, like they said, we've had to move some things online for students and for kids. But our, student, our high school student life team is actually opening up on the West Chicago building this uh, evening for some on-campus gatherings. And so if you want more information, you can email our uh, high school pastor, Dave Moran. You should, if you've if you got some students that have been in that ministry before, you would have gotten an email from our family ministries director. But as it relates to kids' life, the past few weeks we've been talking and excited about opening, but we've actually had to delay that opening here at TVC because uh, we haven't been able to uh, find as many teachers and disciplers um, as we needed to, to serve the, the youngest part of our church. Right? As a church family, we believe that these kids are not the church of the future. They're the church right now. And we want to love and serve these kids and their families and come alongside them and disciple them. This is our familia. And so this is me asking you right now that it, 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 even as I'm talking, as the Lord is stirring your heart, asking you to step in, asking you to come and love these kids, to point them to Jesus. This is a, a ministry that's not a, a, a nice to have in our community. This is a need to have. We want to love these kids well. And, and, and you can sign up, like they mentioned, on our website, tribalagechurch.org or wheatonbiblechurch.org backslash serve. And you can talk to Jennifer if you have any questions. Jennifer Westring, raise your hand. I know you don't like this, but she's right back there. Um, you can also email her, jwestring. It's on the website at tribalagechurch.org. Um, but I, I really and truly mean that this is a ministry that, that the Lord is calling us into as a community to love and serve these kids. This isn't just a program we're trying to put on. We're trying to disciple these kids. So let's continue to be the body of Christ by serving the youngest among us. Amen? Amen. This morning, we're continuing our teaching series, Invincible Church, examining just what it is that makes up the church and why. Even in this season of disconnect, even in this season of uncertainty, we can call the church something as crazy as invincible. Right? Think about that for a second. Right? We are wearing masks, praying that the Lord will protect us from a virus we can't see, and yet, that is precisely why we are invincible, because we are dependent on the one who is invincible. We are dependent on the Lord. He is the God of his church. We belong to him. And to show the intimacy of this relationship that we have with the Lord, the Bible actually uses this incredible image, that of the body. And that's our focus this morning. What does it mean to be the body of Christ? What does it mean that the church is the body of Christ? To answer that, we're going to dive into the Bible and read our text this morning. So if you would open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 12, 12-31. Scroll in your phones, that's okay too, no judgment from me. 
If you're new to the Bible, you don't have a Bible to get, we're actually going to have the text on the screen for you. But I'll also say, welcome. I would love to meet you. Melissa and I would love to meet you. So if, you, if you're new to the Bible, we'd love to help you get more familiar with your Bible and with our community. So also come say hi. I expect a huge crowd to be around me when I step outside by all the doors that I've opened for you guys to say hi to me. All right, let's jump into God's Word. If you're able, would you please stand as we read from 1 Corinthians 12? Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. Or if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact... God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. This is God's word. You may be seated. The human body is one of the most marvelous of all God's creations. In his book, The Body, A Guide for Occupants, Bill Bryson actually explains that our body is made of a seven billion, 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 or seven octillion atoms. In fact, in the few seconds it took me to tell you that, each of our bodies has made a million red blood cells. Bryson actually writes in the first chapter, the body is often likened to a machine, but it is so much more than that. It works 24 hours a day for decades without, for the most part, needing regular servicing or the installation of spare parts, runs on water and a few organic compounds. It makes jokes, feels affections, appreciates a red sunset and a cooling breeze. How many machines do you know that can do any of that? There is no question about it. You are truly a wonder. Even with all the aches and pains that come with age, the worries and anxieties that have come with COVID, the ever-present reality that, that our bodies are breaking down, the human body is still a wonder of God's creation. Even deeply affected by sin, the human body with every part specially designed testifies to God's creativity and care for us. And it is also one of the clearest images that the Bible uses to describe the church. This wonder captures a piece of the wonder of the body of Christ. The human body is weaved throughout our text this morning in order to engage our imagination 
and shape our community with one point. The body of Christ, the church, is both united and different. And Paul introduces this in verses 12 through 14. So that's actually where we're going to start this morning, by examining how he introduces that point. But after that, we'll look at verses 15 through 26. We'll see this. he takes two different angles when he looks at the body. First, he takes the angle that everyone belongs, and second, that everyone matters. And then we'll end our time in verses 27 through 31, where Paul hits that principle again, this time with a slight twist, which will lead us into a time of communion. You should have received communion cups on the way in. So that's our game plan this morning, so you know where we're going, okay? Paul's point, two angles on the body, everyone belongs and everyone matters, and then Paul's point remixed, bringing us into a time at the Lord's table. So let's start with verses 12 through 14. And we'll get at the point that Paul is introducing. Look at verse 12. Look at how he begins to make his point here. He begins his image by writing, just as a body. So Paul opens up the section. He says, okay, imagine with me a human body, right? It's one integrated thing. Altogether, we call it the body. And yet, it is also a bunch of other things. It has many parts to it. And yet, he returns at the end of verse 14. It is still one integrated thing. This is the same with Jesus. This is what he's saying. Together we make up the body of Christ, and we are all in this together because of what God has done in Christ. Right? Look in that section. We were all baptized. We were all brought into the body by the Spirit for the purpose of making us one body. Across ethnic and social lines, you see that Jew and Gentile, right? Slave or free. We all have the same experience of being given the Spirit of God to drink in, to be immersed in, to participate in. And yet... Paul makes the point here, the body is not only one part, but many parts. Here's his point. The body of Christ is both united and different. The body of Christ is one, but has many parts. But I want you to notice his emphasis, right? Because we'll miss it in this section if we don't see it from the very beginning. His emphasis in this section is not on unity, but on difference. Do you see that? He says the body is one, united, but that does not mean that the body is only one, uniform. There's an essential unity that is being communicated here, but Paul actually places it in the background. And what he places it in the foreground, in the center, center stage, is not the essential unity of the body, but the surprising reality that essential unity in the church is actually difference in harmony. But yet the background still matters, right? I don't want us to miss this. Paul builds his argument off of this assumption. Yes, we all had the same experience. We were all receivers of and participants in the Spirit. In fact, that is so true that this united participation is not determined by ethnic lines, Jew or Gentile, social lines, slave or free, but by the will of God. You see that here in the text? It is the Spirit who Paul says baptized us. It is the Spirit that was given to us. By who? By God. We are united not just in our experience, but in our position as those who receive. Not those who generate or create. I've said this over and over again. We are not the ones who united this community, TVC. We did not self-select. We didn't sign up for the right club. We didn't pay an entrance fee. We didn't move to the right neighborhood, get the right job, go to the right school, get into the right tax bracket. We did not figure out a way to network ourselves into the body of Christ. We are not the uniters. We are the united. The ones united by God through His Spirit and in Christ. Again, we need to get this right before we get to the rest of this text. Again, not because this is Paul's point, but because his point assumes this. It builds upon this. And if we don't get it right, we won't understand his actual point. 
what we need in the church. I'll be more specific. What we need among us at Wheaton Bible Church, across all of our campuses, and at TVC in particular, is a spirit-built unity. What we need is not a man-made unity. We need a unity that transcends all of our preferences in music, our opinions in pandemic guidelines, our views in politics, our biases in skin color, and every which way in which difference can divide us. Like Ephesians 4 reminds us, we are not the ones who built the unity. The Spirit is the one that's doing that work. And in our current cultural climate, the church must put on full display both the beauty and even the impossibility of being a united community. But when we say spirit-built unity, I got to shave this beard if I'm going to talk to you guys. When we say spirit-built unity, we mean what we say, a unity defined by the spirit, which is why Paul's point is so important here. We are grounded in this unity that transcends difference. But the emphasis in this passage is precisely that difference. Because spirit-built unity doesn't ignore difference, it celebrates it. Or to put it another way, the body of Christ is both united and different. So with that point introduced, foundation of unity laid, Paul begins to look at this illustration in verse 15, the image of the body. And he does it from multiple angles, and he gets his point across about difference. So we'll start with that first angle I mentioned, everyone belongs. My question for you is, have you ever felt like you didn't belong? Whether you're walking into school on your first day, or you're out on the town with new friends, picking teams to play ball, moving into a new neighborhood, have you ever thought the thought, I don't belong here? This isn't for me. Maybe you've even thought about it walking into church, maybe even into this church. You look around, you see what people are wearing, how people are talking, who they're talking to or not talking to. You don't get picked for the team. No one sits with you at lunch and your coworkers conveniently forgot to invite you on Friday night. I don't belong. And so my question is, why? Why do you feel that? Why don't you belong? Why does that feeling come up inside of you? And why do you wonder about your place in these scenarios? It's because in each of these scenarios, it has made, been made painfully clear that one of these is not like the others, right? It has been communicated to you by others' actions or words that your difference doesn't fit in with their sameness, that your difference does not compute, and because you are not like them, therefore you do not belong. This is the feeling that Paul puts words to in verses 15 through 17, when he imagines different body parts talking to themselves and wondering if they belong. So look at verse 15. Notice what is behind this imaginary scene that he paints here, where this foot and the ear have this uh, internal struggle happening within them. They're wrestling with the idea that because they are not something else, that therefore they do not belong. In other words, they are assuming that these other body parts, the hand, the eye, those do belong. They're in the in-group. And we as foot and ear do not belong. We're in the out-group. Now, both the foot and the ear, to continue the illustration, are right to say this. Right? They're pretty self-aware. They are not those parts. But to make the leap that because they are not those parts is not only a huge leap, but a huge problem. To make the leap that because they are not those parts that therefore they do not belong is not only a huge leap but a huge problem. It anticipates the disintegration of community. And in just a few verses, it's going to anticipate a mutated human body. But I'm going to pause here and say, what conversation runs in your mind, in your heart, when you have that feeling of not belonging? What is your internal struggle? What conversation runs in your head when you are here at TVC? Do you say to yourself, I'm, I'm not like 
so-and-so. I, I can't do what they do. God is clearly using them, but he's not about to use me. In fact, I don't think he can use me. I don't, I don't really belong here. How does the Bible respond to that kind of internal struggle? Well, thankfully, it's right in this passage. We don't have to go anywhere else. Look at verse 17. Imagine, Paul says, if what the foot is thinking or what the ear is wrestling with is true, right? Imagine if the entire body were actually one body part, an eye, how would you hear? If it were an ear, how would you smell? This is what I, in my, um, I'll say, childlike curiosity, call a Mike Wazowski problem. For those of you who don't know, Mike Wazowski is one of the key characters in a very amazing Pixar movie called Monsters, Inc. I can neither confirm nor deny that I've watched it a lot of times. But how do I describe Mike Wazowski? He is basically a tiny green monster with a huge eye, or in other words, he is a walking, talking eyeball. This is how Paul responds to this imaginary internal dialogue of these parts who feel like they don't belong. He puts up this mental image of an entire body made of an eye. Basically, he puts a picture of Mike Wazowski's up and says, is that, is that what you want? Is that really what you're talking about? Paul lists these rhetorical questions to point out just how absurd this kind of thinking is. How absurd it is to want to be something or someone other than who you are and how God has made you. But the absurdity doesn't stop there at verse 17. He keeps going in verse 18 and 19 to press his point. Here's what's true, he's telling the Corinthian church. Here's what's true, he's telling us this morning. God is the one who placed all these parts in the body. Every single one. He placed them exactly where he wanted them to be. And God placed every single one of us here at TVC on purpose exactly where he wanted us to be. It wasn't an accident. God didn't make a mistake. It wasn't a chance that, that you saw us on the road or, or, or you've been here before. It's God has brought you into this community according to his will because he wanted to. And this truth, this reality, this foundational characteristic of the church has two things to say to us. First thing that I want to, to ingrain in my own heart and in our hearts this morning is that we cannot always explain why this particular community is made up of these particular people other than the fact that God particularly wanted it this way. If we are here, we are here because God wanted us here. God wants me here. God wants you here. It is no accident that God is regathering us as a community. Whether in person or online, as we step into this new season, we have to remember that God wants us here. But the second thing it communicates to us is that we have to be really careful with the thought that's plaguing foot and ear in our imaginary conversation, with the, the comparison game that questions God's desire in placing you right where he has you. TVC, we've we got to leave it to God to determine which gifts are necessary for, most necessary for our context, which people are supposed to be here. Not who we think we need, but who he knows we need. For the last four years, God has worked in and through this community. Just a few days ago, TVC turned four years old. God has sustained us in some beautiful ways, and he had the right people at the right time in the right place at every stage of our history. So my question is, if he did it in 2016, why wouldn't he do it in 2020? Why wouldn't he do it right now and right here to place the right people for the right time in the right place? And are we trusting that God has brought us into this season for this purpose? If the answer is yes, how do we demonstrate that trust? Are we seeking counsel? Are we praying to figure out, Lord, what are you calling me into here in this community right now? Or do we struggle playing the comparison game? 
I can't speak like her. I can't sing like him. Who am I to disciple someone else? Who am I to serve in students or kids or life groups for that matter? Who am I to even belong here at TVC? My brother, my sister, my family. This morning, I'm telling you that you belong here. But it's not because I said so. It's because God said so. It's because God wants you here. And not only did he say he wants you here, he proved it by dying and coming back to life to make it that way. The absurdity of this section still isn't done, though. In verse 19, Paul follows his illustration all the way to its natural consequences. And I talked about a mutated body. He says, if every single part of the body was only one part, where would the body be? In other words, if what foot and ear say is true, then why wouldn't it all just be one part? Pick a part, the most important part in your mind. Well, because, Paul says, you would have some kind of monster. We wouldn't even have the body anymore. You would lose the body and gain some green eyeball running around. So Paul says it again. There are many parts but one body. Don't destroy difference for the sake of unity, but don't think unity is destroyed by difference. Again, remembers Paul's point that he introduced before we move on. The body of Christ is both united and different, and everyone belongs. But now he switches in verse 21, switches gear and goes to everyone matters. Starting with verse 21, Paul begins again to quote these imaginary body parts to make his point. It's getting weirder and weirder because the eye is being said, like, you can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Or the head, you can't say to the feet, I don't need you. The internal struggle of foot and ear has now become the external struggle of eye and head. But I want you to notice in this illustration who is speaking and who they are speaking to. The eye and the head speaking to the hand and the feet. In other words, this is a view from above. This is parts of the body talking down to other parts of the body. How do we see other people within our community, TBC? How do we speak about those people? Whether they hear it or not, whether anyone hears it or not. Do we believe that we are better than others? That we don't need other people or that we don't need certain people? How do we struggle with looking down on people that God has brought into our community? Or on the flip side, in what ways have we experienced being looked down upon by others? It goes both ways. The problem Paul is presenting here through eye and head is not just pride. There is a lot of that. But it's also independence. It's an attitude that devalues and humiliates others to the point of saying, I don't need you. And we may never actually say those words, but in our actions, Our reactions, our tones, our attitudes, we betray the way we think about others within the family of God. And Paul hits this point hard in this angle. He says the language of eye and head is absurd when you continue to consider the body and how we treat it. Look at verse 22. The parts of the body that appear to be weaker are actually indispensable, essential, critical, crucial, necessary. Parts like our lungs and our hearts, right? Parts that wouldn't survive outside the body very long, They need the protection of a skeleton and muscles and skin, parts that appear to be weaker, without which we could not live. Appearances can be deceiving. He goes on to write that the parts we believe to be less honorable, we actually treat with special honor. Look at verse 23, the parts that are unpresentable, 
we treat with special modesty. The presentable parts actually don't need any special treatment, he says. He's basically saying, we put clothes on our body, believing that certain parts are unpresentable, maybe even less honorable. But when we do that, we actually treat them with special honor and modesty. In fact, for those we deem presentable, those we think look good, we don't even give any kind of special treatment. And in that illustration, he applies his point again. It is God who has put the body together. It is God who has given greater honor to the parts that appear to have lacked it. Why? For what purpose? The text says to make sure there was no division in the body. Make sure you get this. He didn't give greater honor or equalized value here just to get rid of difference or variety, but to get rid of division. Instead, each part, each different part, Paul says, should care for every other part equally at the same level which means we recognize this greater honor given by God to those parts that lacked it. Why? Because our value system is not based on productivity or efficiency or success. Everyone matters. Because our value system was set by Jesus, who followed the path of shame and weakness, who went all the way to the cross despite the fact that the cross is a symbol of failure and defeat. Because everyone matters. Our value system is measured against the tool of humiliation a symbol of shame, the cross of Jesus Christ. And our value system says, that's honor. That's glory. That's strength. And so in this body of Christ, of Jesus Christ, we go out of our way to recognize and honor those gifts that appear to be less honorable because we see the world differently. It's a matter of perspective. We recognize God's hand in putting the body of Christ together. No one can say I don't need you. Again, how do we see others within the body of Christ? How do we speak to other members of this body of Christ? Look at verse 26. Paul tells us if one part suffers, every single part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. What does that look like? I'm glad you asked. Let me ask you a question. What happens when you wake up and you did not sleep all that great and you can't turn your neck? You start talking to people like this, right? Like you got a neck brace going on. What happens when your tooth starts to hurt and you're trying to do work or you've got a splint in your hand? When one part suffers, every part suffers with it. What happens when you win a marathon? Not that I have personal experience with this, but I can imagine that your ankles don't get the metal strung around them because your feet won the race. When one part is honored, every part rejoices. The point of the angle that Paul is taking here is that just like no part of the body can feel like it doesn't belong because it's not like any other part, so no other part of the body can make another part mean that it doesn't matter. Everyone belongs and everyone matters because God is the one who's put this body together with all of its difference and all of its variety in order that, there's a point to this, every part will care for every other part. Why did God do this? Because he wanted to. Because it was his will. Everyone belongs and everyone matters. And by verse 27, Paul returns to his point that he had in verses 12 through 14. After this long illustration, imaginary dialogue between body parts that got really weird for a second, after looking at both of these angles on the image of the body, that everyone belongs and everyone matters, Paul returns to his point. But this time, he remixes it. See, in the final section of our passage, 27 to 31, Paul's point from the beginning of our text in verses 12 to 14 comes back up. The body of Christ is united in difference. It is both 
And, but on the other side of 15 through 26, after looking at his illustration of the church, as they're looking at the body of Christ from two different angles, Paul's point is different. By verse 27, we see that the body of Christ is both united and different by design. Look at verse 27. If we didn't catch it by now, Paul makes it very clear. Church, I'm talking about you. The church is the body of Christ, and each person in it, so every person that makes up that church, I'm talking to you, is a part of that body. Each person has a part to play. The church is united in Christ and different in gifting, and it's all on purpose. Look at verse 28. How does it start? God has placed in the church. Now, pause. Don't run too quickly to this list of gifts We can get so caught up in what comes next, trying to figure out what is what and how do I get more of that and how do I use that gift that we forget the first part of this verse. God is the one who has placed each and every one of these gifts in and among his people for two purposes. Later in the text, he says, because he wanted to and so that we each care for one another. God created the body of Christ in such a way that it has members and in particular that it has these members. God has placed each and every one of us here, on purpose, if I haven't said it enough, TVC. Because he wanted to, he wanted us to care for one another. In this pandemic, in this season at TVC, we would do well to remember that. To live that out. To live into that. That he meant for us to actually care for one another. We must be who God has made us to be. We must show our character as the body of Christ. And that character is seen not necessarily in all of these particular gifts that he's about to list, but in the recognition that God has given all of these different gifts and more to his body. So let me get to that list. I'll start by saying this list is not all complete. Right? There are gifts mentioned elsewhere that are not mentioned here, and there are gifts mentioned here that are not mentioned elsewhere. This is a representative list, not exhaustive which tells us something. The point might not be this list. This list also represents the diversity of ways that God gives grace upon grace to his people through his people. I won't spend a ton of time here because, again, I don't think the definition of these gifts is the point of this text, but I do want us to notice something. Notice in this list that right at the beginning, the first three that Paul ranks are people or more specific offices that people hold. And then he continues to build that list, then and then, and eventually he just starts listing them rapid fire, and and Paul is building to something. And though these gifts are better defined, like I said in other passages, it is clear from this letter, Corinthians knew what he was talking about. And so he wasn't pausing to explain what these were in this text, he was ramping up. To what? We'll take a look at the next two verses. Paul switches his rapid fire list of gifts and just starts another rapid fire list, this time of rhetorical questions. All of which assume the answer no. Is everyone an apostle, a prophet, a teacher? Does everyone work miracles or heal or speak in tongues or interpret tongues? No, 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 no. No one has every gift. No single community is only one gift. We are part of a community, part of a body that needs every single member. We need each other. That's part of God's brilliant plan in giving us so many different gifts. I'm going to date myself a little bit, but the point of this is not to collect a bunch of Jordans or Pokemon. The point is to live into the diversity of this unified community. The point is that the body of Christ is both united and different by design, on purpose. We have to keep these two realities together. 
intertwined, integrated, because if we lean too far in either direction, we start to get into trouble. Right? If we lean too far into the direction of unity, we might fall into a prideful insistence that everyone be just like us. We start risking thinking to ourselves, because I'm not a teacher or have the gift of healing or this or that, then I don't belong. Kind of just like the foot and ear in our passage we're saying. But if we go too far in the other direction, we run the risk of believing we are better than others. We might even be tempted to say, I don't know, something like, I don't need them, just like the eye and head in our passage would say. If you see, this passage, this moment right now, is my prayer that we might hold tight to both of those. That we see ourselves as united to Christ and to each other. That we see the beauty of the different members of this particular body and celebrate the fact that God has brought these specific people into this particular community to care for one another, to love God, to be the church that puts on full display the glory of God in Christ. The Bible is clear here. The body of Christ is united and different by design. Everyone belongs. Everyone matters. But in the last verse of our passage, it is also clear that there's one characteristic of this body that must run through every member in order for this body to work. Look at our final verse, verse 31. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. Paul, now why would you do that? That is a hard verse to preach. After united indifference, like we were going somewhere, why would you do that? Because these gifts are meant to do what? To help you care for one another. Don't desire the greater gifts because it has a greater status symbol. Because you get to care for one another differently, more, better, whatever that looks like. They are greater because of the more excellent way that he's about to explain. What is that excellent way? It's love. If you haven't noticed yet, the next chapter after chapter 12 is chapter 13, which is a very famous chapter in the church. This is a love that reflects the incredible love of Jesus that brought him all the way to the cross, through the grave, into resurrection, This is the famous chapter that's read at weddings, put on mugs, in decorations. It's a chapter line by line packed with the power of love. But it's not just specifically the love of a husband for a wife or even a parent for a child. This is a chapter about the love of a Christian for another Christian. Love is the only correct context for the gifts in this list. It's the only correct context for the body of Christ to not just survive, but thrive. And you've heard me say it before, context matters. What does it mean to be the body of Christ? It means that we're both united and different by design. It means that everyone belongs and everyone matters, all because of God's love for us in Christ, which transforms our love for each other, and which brings us to this moment right now in our service. Because nowhere is that love seen more than in the Lord's table at communion. And this is why I wanted to put communion at the end of our time. As a response to everything we've just heard, that God has made us the body of Christ and at the table we are taking what it represents, the body and blood of Christ, reminding ourselves of what he has done. So on your way in, you should have received the elements in a sealed cup, right? This is how we're both participating in this rhythm of the church, this commandment of the Lord, and also anticipating the physical risk of COVID, right? I'm going to ask you to please wait to open each part of the sealed cup until we come to each element. I promise you're not going to miss it. I will lead you into each step. But when we get there, it's as simple as just tearing the first layer of plastic off for the bread and the second layer off for the cup, okay? It's weird, I know. But in this letter, this letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul makes a point of talking about communion. 
because he cares so much about his people. Not just because it was an aspect of their public worship, but because it was a reflection of their new reality. The body of Christ eating at the table of Jesus prepared for us. By approaching the Lord's table this morning, by participating in communion and receiving the bread that represents his body and the juice that represents his blood, by doing this together, we do what the body of Christ has done for centuries. We celebrate our difference by proclaiming our unity. We renew our commitment to Jesus and to each other. It's, a, it's been a rhythm of our church body across history that communicates the gospel and shapes us with that same gospel. This is why even in the middle of a pandemic, we want to celebrate this table because it reminds us why we are this invincible church. It reminds us who we are and who we place our hope in. So I want to make it clear as we approach communion that this table is open for everyone who believes and confesses that Jesus is Lord and Savior. It calls every single Christian to come to it, regardless of age, skin color, bank account, neighborhood. It's a table at which the body of Christ celebrates the gospel of Christ and the upside-down, inside-out, invincible church. But as we also come to the Lord's table to celebrate, it is an opportunity to confess our sins. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul reminds us that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is a table for sinners. We do not need to be perfect to partake of this table, but we do need to be repentant. I want to take a moment to prepare our hearts before we receive this and silently confess to God in prayer. Father, we confess this morning all the ways in which we have neglected to do what you have called us to do, to be who you have called us to be. We confess all the ways in which we have done what you have commanded we not do. We confess how we have interacted sinfully with family and neighbors and our community in this particular season, riddled the division across all kinds of lines, political, racial, and even public health lines. We confess the ways our hearts have twisted and rationalized, speaking harsh words in person and online behind the veil of being direct. We confess the ways our hearts have twisted and rationalized silence behind the veil of keeping the peace. Lord, we confess that too often we struggle telling the difference between when to speak and when to be silent. And we thank you that though we sin, through your grace in Christ, we have peace with you and with each other. Thank you that Jesus knew how to perfectly communicate your truth and love and your love and truth. Thank you that Jesus crossed the dividing line and made a way back to you. And like the song we're about to sing, thank you for your love. We trust in Jesus and his love for us. We are confident that we are forgiven because you say that everyone who puts their faith in Jesus is forgiven. We plead with you to continue to work in us as a body of Christ out here in Streamwood. Continue to show us what it means to truly be members of each other. Continue to show us the diversity of your people even in our unity. Across all of our campuses and all of our services, would you continue to meet the needs of your people? Lord, I, I pray that you would continue the work of your word in the hearts of those who have connected on our West Chicago campus this morning. 
I pray that the work of your word continue in us at TVC as we leave this building. I pray that you would prepare the Spanish congregation, Iglesia del Pueblo, to receive your word later this afternoon. We pray, Lord, that your word will work across everyone. Lord, we also pray for those within our community who are struggling with physical and mental illness, with their finances, with their relationships. We pray that you would be an ever-present help in this time of need, and we pray, Lord, that you would use us to comfort them, that you would care for them through us. And we pray for those who are here today, Lord, who don't yet know you. We are grateful that you have brought them here, and we pray that as we receive these elements, that they would receive you. And Lord, we pray as we eat this bread and drink this cup, that you would remind us that you have filled us with your Holy Spirit, that you would assure us of your love, that you would remind us of your once-for-all finished sacrifice, that we would be empowered, Father, to serve you in fullness of life. It's in your Son's name that we pray all these things. Amen. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's open and eat together. Simple as I said it was going to be, it's not simple for me. I'm going to spill a lot of stuff right now. I'm going to stop talking and just do it. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. And when you do this, whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me in response to what we've just done? Lord, may the grace of your son, Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of your Holy Spirit be with us all, we pray. We thank you that you have freed us. We thank you that you have rescued us. We thank you that you have made us into your body. In your son's name that we pray. Amen.